Hey, so mates, we have so much to talk about on this Thursday. Thank you so much for uh, including yourself in on this conversation, including a report that uncovers major wrongdoing inside the LAPD and the Oklahoma lawmaker that's being censored. Welcome to Fox News Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Corte. Plus, what America has to say about the word woke and the West African chef that's being awarded a Michelin Award. They're the stories that impact our people. It's our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into today's top conversation as the U.S. Justice Department is finally releasing their findings following an investigation that was prompted by the killing of Breonna Taylor that happened back in 2020. Now, the department's says the Louisville, Kentucky police force routinely discriminates against black residents. The attorney general and Breonna Taylor's mother both spoke following the release of this report. Most Metro employees and LMPD officers are dedicated public servants who work hard to promote public safety. But Louisville Metro and LMPD have failed to ensure that all employees uphold the constitutional and statutory rights of the people of Louisville. Some have videotaped themselves throwing drinks at pedestrians from their cars, insulted people with disabilities, and called black people monkeys, animal, and boy. This conduct is unacceptable. It is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to know that everything you've been saying from day one has to be said again. Um, through this manner, you know, it, that it took this to even have somebody look into this department, heartbreak all over again, because I knew that to begin with. Um, I said that from the very beginning. Um, we've asked that question a hundred times over and over for no one to ever give you a, a direct answer. And now due to this, the DOJ is now looking at Memphis police for the same reason. The agency says it will look into the department's policies on use of force and de-escalation after the deadly beating of Tyree Nichols. In a separate effort, the DOJ will examine the use of specialized units around the country. The officers in Memphis were a part of one unit that was created to reduce tensions in communities. That group was disbanded after Nichols' death. Yeah, I'm glad the, the DOJ has and, and sounds like will continue to step in and make a concerted effort to, you know, help these local uh, departments move and shift this culture along. I don't know how good of a job they've done with trying to pun intended, self-police and or self-examine and then, you know, redirect um, because these cases continue to surmount. Uh, we continue to hear about that blue culture, you know, wreaking havoc uh, on these communities. So I think it's going to take uh, the DOJ to press down and uh, it's, it's going to take these uh, local municipalities, these local departments to want to get right, get better and do better and shift this blue culture. Yeah, and what a difference a, a an attorney general mm -hmm. can make. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We know that before uh, Merrick Garland uh, uh, became the head of the Department of Justice, we know that uh, his uh, predecessors were not about this life. Uh, they were not about uh, they weren't you know, uh, organizing cons consent decrees. They were not about um, you know holding police departments uh, accountable mm -hmm. in the same mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And so you know um, you know. 
shout out to Merrick Garland in terms of his leadership at DOJ. I'm sure it hasn't been easy. Uh, Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark for civil rights, mm -hmm. um, you know, has also played you know a pretty significant role in mm -hmm. in uh, really you know, reforming these police departments department by department. And so we'll continue to keep our eye on this, but uh, you know, this is no small thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were over 36 recommendations that were made mm -hmm. in terms of reforms to the Louisville uh, Police Department. And mm -hmm. when you look at what they were doing, some of the practices uh, that they were engaged in, it reminded me of Ferguson mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and what they were doing. And so, you know, for everybody out there that's acting like, you know, what do you mean police reform, you know? You know, you know the, the police are, are, are uh, doing a good job. Well, you know, in Louisville, uh, they were violating people's civil rights. Yeah, genuine change. These departments need to mean it. All right, a special counsel appointed by the L.A. Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Commission has issued an explosive report on deputy gangs inside the Sheriff's Department, calling them a cancer that must be excised. The report calls on Sheriff Robert Luna to adopt a policy that prohibits deputies from participating in deputy gangs and make it clear that this is a top priority and he should state his intention to make this happen immediately. Now, the report also identifies at least half a dozen active gangs and cliques and names them, which include the executioners, the banditos, the regulators, the Spartans, the gladiators, the cowboys, and the reapers. And here to discuss the report and police reform across the country is retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. Thanks so much for joining us here on Fox Soul's Black Report. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Sergeant Dorsey, share with us, you know, what's your response to this damning report uh, on the L.A. County Sheriff? Well, this is nothing new, and I've certainly been speaking on this issue for several years uh, with uh, Sheriff Alex Villanueva at the head of that agency, and that's part and parcel, I believe, as to why he was not reelected. Uh, for folks who think their vote doesn't matter, it absolutely does. And so, you know, my concern has always been, you've got high ranking officials. Uh, at one point, the undersheriff, Paul Tanaka, <laughs> was an admitted Viking. Mm. I mean, he's serving time right now in federal prison with a former sheriff, Lee Baca. So this is nothing new. This has been going around on the sheriff's department reportedly for over 50 years. And while they acknowledge the existence of half a dozen, it's purported that they're really about 17 different internal gangs where they go out and they get inked up uh, when they put hands on somebody and beat them. When they get involved in a use of force, there's deputies allegedly who go out and try to provoke an incident where they can get into a shooting so they can get inked. And so my concern was always, you know, as Sheriff Villanueva, uh, an executioner, mm. we need to have somebody pull up these deputies' pants leg and see what's going on with these inkings that they have to see who's actually involved and what really are they going to do. I mean, Luna says he's going to look into it. Okay, and then what? Yeah, absolutely terrifying. You you just mentioned uh, the new sheriff that's been elected, uh, Robert Luna. Do you think he's up for the challenge of, you know, reprogramming and redirecting this department? I hope he can make some substantive change, mm -hmm. but I'm a realist. This has been going on in that department for decades, mm -hmm. and it's institutionalized, it's systemic, and when you've got chiefs of staff, when you've got an undersheriff or two who's an admitted known gangster, mm. 
how deep is that in that organization? And are you really gonna be able to excise those officers? Because listen, it's reported that these deputies are so-called shot callers, like you you hear uh, references in, in prison. You know, they're the ones who determine who work specialized units, uh, who get the overtime assignments. And so I'm not sure if he's really gonna be able to do this single-handedly. And, and considering that the LA County Sheriff is one of the largest uh, law enforcement, local law enforcement agencies in the country, when we, we look at this report, and the Department of Justice report on the Louisville Police Department. Is this the beginning of the change that many protesters, uh, like Black Lives Matter activists, uh, have been marching for? I don't say no to any of the changes. And understand, you need to pay attention to the verbiage that's used. Um, Merrick Garland, I appreciate his effort. He's making a recommendation. And so I don't know if there are any teeth behind that recommendation. Uh, police chiefs have total autonomy in terms of how they comport themselves and how they run their fiefdoms, their police departments, and understanding that every police chief serves at the pleasure of an elected mayor. And so they're giving us a lot of lip service right now. But listen, they've disbanded units and and reconstituted them. The Vipers gave them a different name. Uh, they've taken over in Memphis officers out of the Scorpion unit, disbanded it, and put them where? In patrol. It's not like these officers aren't still out there working patrol, dealing with people day in and day out. And so my concern is what really are they going to do? And oh, by the way, we know that these officers, some of them are proven and demonstrated liars. They lied on affidavits to get search warrants, particularly in the case of Breonna Taylor. These are compromised officers. Once they're shown to be a liar, everything that they've touched is tainted. So what is the district attorney going to do across these 18,000 police departments where we have people serving time right now in jail on a lie that was put forth by a compromised officer? Yeah, you just mentioned a lot of these units uh, where a lot of the complaints and the mistreatment uh, stem from uh, across the country. Um, what do you think, uh, more specifically, um, these units, how can these units be redirected or do they need to continue to be disbanded um, from being um, so reckless? Is it a, is it a blue culture? Is it, is it a lack of training? Your thoughts on that? Well, it's certainly part of the culture, and that can be whether you're in a specialized unit or if you're just working patrol, as I did for 20 years on LAPD, I worked in a specialized unit, uh, South Bureau Crash, uh, our gang detail. And so I understand how these units work, mm -hmm. and I understand the mindset on some of the officers that are there. And that's why it's so important to have field supervisors like myself, a sergeant, who's out there, whether you're in patrol or on a specialized unit. We know that the Scorpions were out there unsupervised, and these were almost mm -hmm. uh, officers who were just a click above a probationer. So you need patrol sergeants out there rolling on these calls, monitoring, evaluating their officers in the field to make sure that they're dealing with the community in a way that's appropriate. And when you find officers are not, then there should be swift and substantive administrative action. We don't need a federal national registry. We don't need a list. Mm -hmm. These agencies know who the bad actors are. You think Derek Chauvin wasn't on a list with 20 plus personnel complaints? Mm -hmm. Three of the Memphis Five had personnel complaints. C.J. Davis knew absolutely who these people were, yet she allowed them to remain on that Scorpion unit and ignored complaints that were coming in from the community. And so we've got to roll our sleeves up as a community, get involved and get engaged and demand 
substantive change, not lip service, not a list, not a, a recommendation, but real change. Get these bad doers off of those police departments. Decertify them yeah. so they don't get to resign and move to another agency. Yeah. Well, you know, we really want to thank you and mm -hmm. we want to invite you to come back again. Uh, police reform continues to be in the national headlines. Um, we know that uh, that mayors play an outsized role in uh, advancing police reform, as do uh, presidents and Congress. And so, you know, please come back again to help us make sense out of what's happening, what could happen. Uh, and what's not happening. Yeah, and from sister to sister, you look amazing. I just want to throw that in there on Women's History Month. <laughs> we appreciate, appreciate your you. time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, I mean, wow. really, really important conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, um, you know, it makes you wonder if any of these units, in regards to why they were designed in the first place, if any of these units across the country have ever worked. Have, have there been any units that haven't been corrupt? Have there been any units that have, you know, played it, you know, by the law and by policy? And it just makes you wonder, does, does, that, does that even exist based upon what they were formed to do? I mean, I think a big part of the debate is around checks and balances, mm -hmm. right? We mm -hmm. cannot expect the police to police themselves. And, you know, that was a question that was put to um, voters in L.A. County, where they have given the L.A. County Board of Supervisors the power mm -hmm. um, to be able to uh, uh, fire sheriffs, uh, duly elected uh, 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 elected officials, mm -hmm. and so that's a, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. But I think what people really want are checks and balances, more oversight over uh, police departments, right? And, and when you know police departments are found to be corrupt, mm -hmm. you know when they have folks that are not adhering to policy, you know then what? You know, and there are a lot of activists out there that are not confident that those changes are, are happening fast enough. And that's why a lot of them are saying, you know, we've got to reimagine policing uh, from top to bottom. Well, uh, moving along, a black professor in Illinois is making headlines after she says black people should get special bereavement leave and counseling <laughs> services in order to deal with issues relating to systemic racism. Dr. Angel Jones, who teaches at Southern Illinois University, argued that black teachers ought to be eligible for black bereavement leave because the grief process for the community in the wake of public tragedy can be tough. The professor said that she recently burst into tears when she had to email her students in the wake of Tyree Nichols' death and says that it was impossible to ignore her own feelings and that she had cried numerous times sending similar emails in the past. I understand her requests and, and I think, you know, we've been reading stories where statistics show that, uh, you know, those stressors, uh, you know, put a toll on our lives and our day-to-day -day existence. I don't know. I think it's a bit far-fetched to get others to see, especially those who are guilty of maybe creating those stressors for black folks. I think in moments uh, like she spoke on, you just have to take the moment. You have to own the moment. I was doing evening news in the midst of all of the 2020 election and the, and the nonsense. Uh, and then thereafter, you know, you had um, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And then you had Brianna. You had um, the situation in Minneapolis. You had uh, Ar Arbery. And, you know, as a, I, I was a human first in that moment. And so there was a little bit more emotion in those evening newscasts that maybe before to let folks know that I'm just not a news anchor. I'm also a black woman. I'm also a sister and a niece. Uh, and this has affected me. So I just think you have to 
steal those moments when you can yeah. and claim them for yourself and let people know that you are human. Yeah. And that this is taking a toll on you. Look, we all need mental health days. Mm -hmm. We all need those days to sort of, uh, you know, get quiet, recenter ourselves. Um, and sometimes weekends aren't enough. That's right. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Clayton County uh, in Georgia. Uh, where two people are in custody after a man complained about his prostitute to officers. Check this story. Police say well, that well. Jonathan Reynolds, Lord, uh, told officers that he had given a woman forty dollars to you know to do what they do. Uh, <laughs> now, according to Reynolds, the woman disappeared after taking his money. So my man went to the cops after looking through surveillance video. Police were able to locate the woman uh, when questioned. Renee Williams, who you just saw there, admitted to taking taking the money and leaving. Both were taken into custody. That's kind of what happens when $40? you engage in illegal activity. For $40? You could probably imagine maybe you know, she, what, may, what $40. Maybe you know, she, maybe she thought it was a deposit. Maybe $40 was a deposit. I, I doubt that. Maybe it was incomplete payment. I doubt that. She just, you Maybe know, insufficient funds. She just, hit a, she just tried to hit a lick, <laughs> lick and it didn't work. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. <laughs> More history is being made over at ESPN as it's the second straight year the network has commentated uh, for the NBA game led by an all-female broadcast crew. Nice, and there's a few black nice. queens in the lineup. This year's all-female broadcast was held on International Women's Day. Yay. Mm -hmm. The women conducted pregame panels in-game commentating and post-game reactions for the Dallas Mavericks versus the New Orleans Pelicans game. Now, the black journalists and anchors included in the coverage were Malika Andrews, Candace Parker-Cheney, uh, Okawikbiki, and Monica McNutt. Yeah, I, you know, I love these girls. I, I see them often, you know, throughout the season. And, you know, they are bright. Uh, they are knowledgeable. Some of them, of course, are former players, have been up and down the court, which gives them a, a, an even deeper insight. And then on top of that, you know, they're unapologetically feminine, That you know, the hair, whether it be curly, straight, braids. Um, and they're beautiful. And, and, and you see all of that in that, in that full package. And uh, it's great to see a whole new generation yeah. of, of sportscasters, yeah. female sportscasters, you know, take the reins and, and pull us through this industry. It really is. It really is. I mean, I remember a time where, you know, we didn't see mm -hmm. uh, a lot of female commentators uh, It was just in, what, in, like in Pam sports. Oliver? I mean, it was, it was a big I'm deal when Robin Roberts, Robin, Robin Roberts, Roberts came out of mm -hmm. that world and, yeah. and parlayed that into, you know, a, 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 an incredible an career, career on right. Good Morning America. But, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, her story was so uncommon, mm -hmm. right? And so to see so many other women, particularly black women, yeah. uh, you know, that are uh, really owning the space, you yes. know, as anchors in that space and commentators, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, still ahead, RuPaul throwing shade. That's right. You don't we'll, say. We'll tell you what he <laughs> has to say and to who after we return. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to Fox News Black Report. Now off to Oklahoma where Republicans formally censured their non-binary Democratic colleague this week after state troopers said that the lawmaker blocked them from questioning a transgender rights activist accused of assaulting a police officer 
during a protest over anti-trans legislation. Hmm. Now, the party line vote means Representative Maury Turner, who uses they, them pronouns, will be removed from all committee assignments unless the second term lawmakers issue a formal apology. Now, uh, this is including to the Highway Patrol, which provides security at the Capitol complex. Turner, the first openly non-binary and Muslim person elected to the legislature there in Oklahoma, said earlier this week that won't happen as Republicans continue to work to strip away the rights of trans people. Yeah, this is this is pretty uh, terrible mm. that uh, because the representative you know, was trying to basically shield this activist, create a safe space for this activist in their office. Uh, you know, you have law enforcement that said, no, you know, that was wrong. And, you know, that, that House Speaker in Oklahoma is on their side, um, willing to strip her of committee assignments. It's a pretty extreme reaction to somebody that's just trying to create a safe space in their office, especially given that, you know, there have been a number of pieces of legislation in Oklahoma targeting the trans community in terms of gender affirming care mm -hmm. and you know we've, we've seen how republican controlled state legislatures across the country are going after drag shows for example mm -hmm. um, and so you know this is you know elected official trying to protect somebody and uh, you know she may have her assignment stripped from her but she is standing her I'm sorry, they are standing their ground. Yeah, the pushback, all the protection, it, it, it borderlines hate to me. Like you are just, you know, so against what that person had a right to speak on. Uh, people are who they are. And whether you agree or disagree with who they choose to be, they have a right to be that. And, you know, for these lawmakers to go to the extent that they've gone to, that that directs me and, and I lean I'm leaning more towards just hate. Yeah. Just hate. Yeah. And everybody has and a that's right. That's unfortunate. And everybody has it's a, evil. You're right. And everybody has a right to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what the representative was responding to. Right. This trans activist did not feel safe mm -hmm. uh, at the Capitol and is among a number of activists uh, that don't feel safe at the Capitol. And this representative knows something about not feeling like they belong or feel safe because sure. as we mentioned, they are non-binary. Mm -hmm. um, they are also Muslim. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It really is. Well, this week, ESPN commentator Sage Steele condemned a recent decision by a Minnesota state court to force USA powerlifting to permit male athletes who identify as transgender to compete against females. Steele tweeted, unfair to women. And the irony of this decision being made during Women's History Month, the hypocrisy continues. Sports journalist Michelle Tafoya also criticized the decision, saying, quote, transgender women have a Y chromosome. Biological women do not. There are genetic differences. Women's sports needs to be protected. Now, both Sage and Tafoya were joined in their opposition by the Independent Council on Women's Sports, an organization dedicated to protecting female athletes. Yeah, uh, you know, Sage has always, you know, had a lot to say. Uh, and she's been, you know, pretty uh, controversial as of late. So I'm really surprised that she's putting herself in this space. I thought she would just kind of quiet down and, and, and sit, at, sit at the anchor. But look, um, to some degree, we've talked about this before. Um, I'm not saying that I agree, but I do question, you know, is there an unfair advantage biologically? And I know you and I at this desk have gone back and forth because, you know, there's been, you know, high school track meets and, and, and other uh, sports where uh, transgender um, males want to, uh, you know, 
show up and be a part of female uh, sports. And I'm just questioning biologically, would there still be an advantage? You said there's research going on that states otherwise. Yeah. I just have a hard time believing that, especially when you're talking about powerlifting. Yeah, well, you know, you're referring to the, the case of the trans uh, girls, the black trans yes. girls in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, and that case is, is still making its way through the courts. But, you know, this is a, a an issue, you know, that uh, raises a lot of eyebrows for a lot of folks in terms of whether or not uh, trans athletes have any sort of physical advantage mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to competing. Now, you know, there is no uh, decisive or definitive research out there that says that they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so far, there have been a number of judges that haven't reached that conclusion either. Um, Cooper, the, the trans man mm -hmm. uh, in this particular case, placed third in the 2022 AMP Classic uh, Open Nationals, twice won the Women's uh, Raw 198 Open and finished fourth in the USPA National Championship. And so there are folks that say, well, if there's a biological advantage, mm -hmm. then wouldn't folks like Cooper win every time? You know, or at least win the majority of the times. And, and that doesn't seem to be the case. That, that issue uh, also came up in the Connecticut case, you know, where the black trans girls, they didn't win every race either, right? Well, maybe they're just not good runners and maybe this person just isn't a good lifter. But I, I do think for me, the debate stands firm that, you know, if there is a biological um, um, advantage. advantage, then it should be debated, it should be discussed. All right, Michigan lawmakers have passed a bill to expand civil rights protections to the LGBTQ community, which would make it illegal to fire or evict someone based on their sexual orientation. Now, Governor Whitmer is expected to sign the measure into law when it reaches her desk. The legislation receives support from eight Republicans and will codify protections from discrimination based on sexual orientation in employment, housing, and other areas. Eight Republicans joined Democrats in voting for the legislation, which comes as uh, Republican-led states have passed a slew of bills uh, that limit the freedoms of LGBTQ Americans. RuPaul is calling out state bills that target drag performances, claiming that they are a distraction from more important issues. In an Instagram video, the RuPaul's Drag Race host urged his four million followers to register to vote and remove politicians who focus on easy targets instead of substantive problems. The message came after Tennessee became the first state to ban drag performances seen by children and gender affirming health care for transgender youth. Now, RuPaul called drag queens the quotes Marines of the queer movement mm. and encouraged people to use their vote to elect leaders with real solutions. You know, RuPaul has been, uh, he, he has become if not is the granddaddy of, you know, this whole, this movement, uh, this, this drag creation. I mean, when you think of drag, you think of RuPaul, this, his success, uh, the sex, success of the, of the TV program, the success of the drag queens who have appeared on uh, the TV program. So if there's gonna be some sort of authority to push um, this message through, that this ain't bothering you, this ain't hurting you. And I, I have a tendency to agree that I feel it's, it's artistry. I've said this before at the mm -hmm. desk, every time I, 
I attend a, a, a show, hasn't been too often because I haven't had time, I have a good time. Yeah. And you know, it's a, it's a girls' night out, and I just think the artistry and the passion behind uh, what these uh, queens do is amazing. And yeah. that's, that's where I'm gonna leave it. Yeah, you're right. It's an artistic, yeah. uh, it's an art form, mm -hmm. and it's also important to note the history of drag performances in the LGBTQ yep. community. You know, once upon a time when, you know, our brothers and sisters, you know, were dying of HIV AIDS, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the 80s and 90s, you know, uh, in, in particular, um, we know that, that there were a lot of drag queens that were performing mm -hmm. to raise money, you know, to be able to provide the care that folks needed, mm -hmm. you know, when they were dying. And so, you know, drag queens have, have played a very important role in advancing LGBTQ rights in this country. And big ups to Governor Whitmer here in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you know, for and for passing uh, the uh, uh, Equality Act uh, equivalent uh, here in Michigan, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, that's legislation that we can't pass in Congress, uh, but here in Michigan they're able to do it, especially in the face of so much anti-LGBTQ hate that's afoot. And you gotta say, you can get some great makeup tips. <laughs> man, oh man, they know how to put it on, baby. That's, that's right. for sure. Contour. <laughs> I that's mean, right. Coming learn up, something. learning her story, civil rights icon Angela Davis gets some shocking yeah, information. Yeah, it, it blew me away, too. We'll tell you what she discovered when looking up her ancestry. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hole's Black Report. Now, a new USA Today Ipsos poll has found that 56% of Americans agree with a positive definition of the term woke, hmm. understanding it to mean to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustices. 39% had a negative association with the word and understood it to mean to be overly politically correct and police others' words. The poll also discovered Americans are divided on whether they consider it an insult to be described as woke, with 40% calling it an insult and 32% calling it a compliment. That's right, the, the discussion around the term comes as GOP politicians wage a so-called war on wokeness. Leading the charge, that's right, you guessed it, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has previously declared that the Sunshine State is where woke goes to die. I'm, I'm gonna need these GOP folks to, to leave it alone. I mean, it, listen, brothers, sisters, soulmates, in our community, amongst our conversations, in our homes, in our kitchens, you know what woke means, and don't let Ken and Karen throw you off that square. And, and, and stop you from knowing what that has always meant in our community. It means to, to be aware of what's happening in and around you. And, and it's also not necessarily strictly for race relations. It's about being aware of who you are and how you wanna move mm -hmm. in this world and how you wanna contribute to the culture and the community. Aside from being woke, uh, you know, reminding you that we, we're in a strange land at times and we don't run things and, and we got to code switch and, and make things happen and you just have to stay aware of those. So it means so much more and, it, and this whole woke um, debate being brought into the mainstream, it, you know, it, it's being whitewashed and it really ticks me off a little bit. Yeah. Like, we know what this means, what woke means. You're right, and there's anti-woke legislation that is making its way across the country. We mentioned, you know, Florida where, you know, the governor says it's where woke goes 
to die. But, you know, there are plenty of states across the country that are taking their cues from Ron DeSantis. Mm. Uh, and they are implementing their own anti-black or uh, anti-black legislation, anti-LGBTQ legislation. And they're creating environments that are, are hostile learning environments for black kids and LGBTQ kids in schools. And so, you know, we can't sleep on this. Yeah. You know, th this isn't just going to go away by itself. To me, to be woke is essentially to be conscious, right? right? And, right. And, and we should all be in the business of, of heightening our consciousness, not bringing it down, and certainly not bringing it down to the gutter. Hence the hashtag stay woke. That's and, right. and there's all different elements of staying conscious. It's not just a racial thing. Don't let them take you off your square. And speaking of woke, ain't nobody more woke That's right. <laughs> than activist Angela Davis, one of the wokest black Americans of our time, of course. She was shocked to learn that she descended from a passenger on the Mayflower. <gasps> one of the first settlers <laughs> in America. Uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr., he's doing amazing work. Host sure of the is. PBS program, Finding Your Roots. You need to really check it out, it's amazing. Revealed Davis's ancestry during Black History Month. Now, Davis's 10th, he did it on Black History Month. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, Davis's 10th great-grandfather, tracing back through her father's white father, Murphy Jones, was William Brewster, born in England about 1570. Davis's first response was no. I can't believe this. My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. She later stated, uh, quote, I always imagine my ancestors as the people who were enslaved. It makes me even more committed to struggling for a better world. I mean, that's an incredible Talk story. And, taken aback. And, and that's why, you know, Henry Louis Gates' program on PBS, Finding Your Roots, is so good. You know, it really is meeting the moment, mm -hmm. right? It's reminding That's us good. how interconnected mm -hmm. we all are, right? And so, you know, for people out there throwing up the black power fist, right? You know, for, for those that are steeped in um, the history of racial uh, injustice mm -hmm. and the fight, the struggle for racial justice, mm -hmm. um, I count Angela Davis, you know, as um, one of the, the the headliners in leading, that movement, right? That. One of the leaders in the mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if 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 she can be pl pleasantly surprised about her history, then imagine what we'll find when we look into our own history, right? Right? And imagine what some of these 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 folks that are um, anti woke, mm. some of the folks that don't want to teach Black history in schools. You know, imagine. Uh, their shock when they discover that, you know what, you got black people, you got black blood running through your veins too. Yeah, we are all a mixed bag. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. If you just look at, at our, our history and how we were brought over here, how we were treated, mm -hmm. how we were, were sexually abused and, and how the it, it all started in, in, in the first place, you know, and, and I've got white family members who are actually blood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong for me there. It's just that understand that we're all connected. And can we use that connection to again, you know, find some way to get along and just appreciate the differences. It's okay to be different. I just can't disrespect you and dismiss you and, and act as if you don't exist or you don't matter because you are so very different. When you have stories like this, when it proves that we all pretty much come from a mixed bag, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to use that to, to, to better our existence with one another? Because ain't nobody going nowhere. And I think that's the point. When you know better, do better. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of folks out there mm -hmm. 
that don't want to do better, yeah. right? And so, you know, we have to summon them to a higher level yeah. of consciousness, and hopefully news like what we bring to folks every yeah. single day um, helps to do that. Yeah, I got a cousin just as fair-skinned with red hair, love her to death. Right, mm -hmm. and, and, and I have family members that are also, <laughs> right. you know, That's white right. and Latino. That's and, right. That's right, right. You know, we're a mixed bag, mm -hmm. one human family. Uh, well, in HBCU news, the HBCU Library Alliance and Harvard Library have announced a project to sustain and deepen capacity for the digitization, discovery, and preservation of African-American history collections held in HBCU libraries and archives across the United States. The four-year, $6 million project aims to develop strategies and methods for HBCU libraries and archives to scale up the processing and digitization of their collections. The partnership will add to work that already exists in HBCU Library Alliance, Alliance's Digital Library, according to Sandra Phoenix, who is the executive director of the HBCU Library Alliance. The collaboration will, with Harvard will provide an opportunity to share HBCU stories, complete the historical record, augment American history, and create new scholarship to make these very valuable stories known to a broader public. All right, for the month of March, Black History is Her Story in celebration of Women's History Month. And today we shine a light on four women of color uh, game changers. Uh, another history in the making here. That's right, Time Magazine recently announced it's 2023 Women of the Year, and four of them were black women. They include Angela Bassett, the who queen. wrote on her Instagram, the quotes the extraordinary thing <laughs> about being a part of history is that through your accomplishments, you represent the intention and action towards change and the march towards a brighter, more equitable and inclusive future. That's what Bassett wrote on her Instagram about the honor. And then Ramallah Ali, who is a professional boxer, fashion model and philanthropist. Um, she also, she's also on the list. Mm -hmm. Also on the list, Anil Franco, Brazil's racial equality minister. The leader unexpectedly entered the world of politics following the assassination of her sister. And last but not least, Quinta Brunson. Uh, she's having a heck of a run right now as the creator of Abbott Elementary. That's right. Uh, so, some bad sisters. Yeah. Some bad sisters. Yeah. And, and, and an intergenerational cohort mm -hmm. of bad sisters. Yeah, and it really reflects a whole, you know, international, the international landscape of, of women of color who are making a difference uh, globally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can't wait to, to dig into that article and, and read a little bit more about the ones who I'm not as familiar with um, to just help continue to encourage and influence. And, you know, I, I like to use their stories to kind of, you know, Keep, temper myself and, and yeah. keep me on track and, and, and make sure I'm doing uh, what, you know, I'm out here to do and what I'm expected to do, you know, based upon the legacy that I'm living in and uh, just be that change. Just be that change. That's right. That's, That's right. That's right. It's pretty incredible. Up next, coming to Eminem's defense, my homie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll tell you why rappers across the industry are rushing to take up for the rapper. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Mm, I don't know about this. Welcome back to Fox Hole's Black Report. All right, let's get into some royal news. Mm -mm. Prince Harry and Meghan's children, Archie and Lilibet, 
have been given their official royal titles as Prince and Princess. This is according to the family's website. Yeah, now the change occurred after Lilibet's christening, where she was referred to as Princess Lilibet right, for now. the first time following the 1917 letters patent established by King George V. Now, even though Prince Harry and Meghan have stepped down as senior members of the royal family, their children are still entitled to their royal titles. Good for them. Good for them. I mean, I think there are a number of folks that are, that are asking the question, like, okay, so are you are you are you wanting to be a part of the royal mm -hmm. family? Are you wanting to step back from the royal family? Mm -hmm. You know, are you, you know? Do you still want some of the uh, benefits that come along with being a royal, or are you willing to sort of leave those benefits behind? Look, the fact of the matter is that you know these kids' grandfather is still King Charles III. He is the king of the Commonwealth. Um, and nothing changes that. So whether Harry and Meghan step back or step forward, um, they are still a part of the royal family. And, and I think a lot of us just, we want to see that they're not being treated any differently than anybody else. And, and you know, according to, you know, Prince Harry and Princess uh, um, and, uh, and, and Meghan, uh, they stepped back, you know, because they weren't being treated uh, fairly, they mm -hmm. were not being treated um, as you know, other senior members of the royal family, and so you know, I don't know. I just hope King Charles gets it together because his coronation is coming up, you know, and you know we don't want his coronation, you know, to to look like you know, you know, uh, a Medea family dinner or something like that. Well, I agree with you. You can't have it both ways. But if you're if you're inviting these titles on your children or you're putting these titles on the on your children are you inviting some of the same controversies are you in, inviting some of the same pressures are you inviting some of the same obstacles and prejudices that that you left the palace about and over so so are you kind of opening them up to that I don't know but at the same time I can see how they're entitled and I can also see how that would better position and maybe posture them in the world as they grow up and, and mature but you can't have it both ways. I just hope that these titles don't come and haunt them in the ways that the titles have haunted their dad and their mom. Or, well, you know, or, or displace their dad and their mom, if you will. Well, I would love for Princess Meghan and Prince Harry to, you know, come on over to Foxhole's Black Report, have a conversation. Boy, please. Janet Jackson fans can look forward to another glimpse into, if you can get that to happen. I'm just saying, it's, it's, I believe it's possible. <laughs> uh, we're going to have another glimpse into Janet Jackson's life as Lifetime and A&E Networks have announced the green light of Janet Jackson Family First following the success of her self-titled titled, uh, limited docuseries, which was fascinating. Fascinating. Now, the upcoming series will continue her story as she embarks upon her 2023 Together Again tour and reunites her family band with brother Randy Jackson. After 40 years, Janet and Randy are executive producers and they are currently filming the series. Boom. Yeah, that's a good look. Get it, get it. Get it, well, I get will it. say this, the, the, the documentary followed her for like five years. That was amazing. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, I think it was a real honest look. Uh, she was still very guarded about the last uh, marriage. And I think there's might be something in place where she, you mm -hmm. know, you, she can't talk about it. I still want to see the son. Uh, she hasn't really revealed yeah. him too much, but I was really fascinated to learn that out of all the brothers, she was close to Mike, but her and Randy, are like buddy, buddy, buddy. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very close. I think he's a part 
of her management yeah, team. And as yeah. you can see, they're, they're serving as EPs for this project. And it's going to be interesting to see how she gets all of them together because they've been kind of like in their own lanes for mm -hmm. a very long time and, and feel some kind of way about each other every now and again. You know, I, f I feel some kind of way about you know, the documentary in that I don't think that she talked enough about Michael. I feel, I feel like she touched on Michael, mm. um, you know, in the documentary. Well, that was her moment. But but know, I don't feel, but I don't feel like we learned enough about just sort of like her. What else you need her, to know about Michael her, Jackson? About her, it's not about Michael Jackson. It's about her her relationship with Michael and mm -hmm. her point of view on you know a lot of the accusations. You know, um, clearly there's a biopic that's in the works right mm -hmm. now um, on Michael's life. Right? Mm -hmm. How does she feel about that? You know, we just saw, you know, Chris Rock has been in the news, mm -hmm. you know, for making a joke uh, during his recent uh, stand-up comedy special on Netflix um, that offended members of the Jackson family. I and think so, she touched and, on and, Michael and, and, just and, enough. And so I'm just saying that in her, in her series, in her documentary, her, her second installment, I would hope that she goes a little bit deeper. I think the people want to know. I, I think she touched on Michael just enough to still allow that documentary to be about her and her moment. I think, it, I think it could still be about her and her moment, but I think I think she could go a little bit deeper. She already has. You know, because, because think about it. Between Michael and Janet, they're probably the biggest superstars, certainly of that family and of a generation, right? And so I can understand her privacy and everything, but I'm just saying people want to know. People want to know. That's all. Uh, well... People know this now. They know that Tiger Woods' ex-girlfriend <laughs> is suing the athlete for $30 million after alleging that he tricked her into leaving their shared home and then locking her out. Mm. What? According to documents obtained by TMZ, Erica Herman and Woods broke up last fall. That's when Herman alleges that Woods cooked up a scheme to get her out of his Florida home, violating an oral Tennessee tenancy agreement. Herman's team says Tiger's people had her pack up a suitcase for a fake vacation and drove her to the airport. Once at the airport, she says they told her she was locked out of the house and couldn't go back. Herman is also asking the judge to declare the NDA she signed unenforceable. She says federal law allows her to speak out in cases involving sexual misconduct or harassment but she hasn't specified what he allegedly did. No, he didn't conjure up, no, he didn't cook up, no, he planned this thing. When you have <laughs> $1.1 billion, you, you, you make magic He said, happen. this is what we gonna this do. This is what we, we gonna, gonna do. We gonna send her to the I'm airport to... with a suitcase, you know, a one-way ticket. I'm going to plan a solo vacation. While you gone, I'm going to change the locks. Mm -hmm. When you land, I'm going to have my lawyers meet you at the airport to let you know that it's over and we're going to keep it moving. And, you know, you know, I, I can I can understand why she's suing about the money. And I can also understand why she wants this uh, NDA out of here so she can, you know, talk about the, the, the dirt. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. He might give her a little something to, to go away, but it sounds like um, that relationship has been over and he just had to uh, make it do what it do to uh, make sure it was over upon her return. Let me tell, Let me you. tell you, that tiger, tiger's cold. Tiger's a beast. Tiger's cold. He is that was cold-blooded tiger. I don't know, Tiger. You over here, you Ooh. inspiring some soulmates, And you know, his tiger. preference is his preference, but I'm hoping as he moves on and maybe finds a, another partner, maybe she'd be a, a, a different kind of, oh, different kind of lady. And what? I bet you he different, wouldn't. Different in what way? 
In what way, Courtney? I, you know, it appears as though he has a preference, but maybe it's time for something a little different. I'm gonna just leave it at that. The Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers commission, I bet you that won't happen like that. It wouldn't, a commissioned, uh, a custom pendant to commemorate LeBron James for passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the uh, most career points in NBA history. Now the solid gold pendant is diamond encrusted and features design uh, elements from James's career, including a roaring lion crown with the 19 all-stars LJ logo numerals for his numbers 23 and 6 and logos of all three teams that he's played for. Now the pendant comes with a signature infinity link mm. chain fastened with the NBA logo set in diamonds. Mm. Mm. what that look like? Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it is really gorgeous. And look, um, this man is the best of the best, the cream of the crop. The argument, the debate will always continue for, for, for ages to come. Who is the best to ever do it? He's one of the best. He deserves it all. You don't care whether you like Braun or not, stats, this, Michael Jordan, this, this, that. Give it all to him and give it to him now while he's still in his prime. Well, let me just say, I believe that love is in the details. And that piece of jewelry, clearly has a lot of details because it's being given to him with so much love. I mean, you know, when you visit, you know, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. it is clear that that is LeBron's town. You know, people love mm -hmm. LeBron James, mm -hmm. they love the Lakers, they love the Clippers too, but you know, the love for, <laughs> you say so. for LeBron James, you know, is palpable. And so, you know, I'm so glad that he has sort of a token of, uh, I think the love that so many Angelinos also feel for him, not just Lakers fans. Okay. Everybody. Uh, Melly Mel's recent comments on Eminem's ranking on the Billboard list of top, five, top 50, top 50 mm -hmm. rappers of all time sparked controversy, with some rappers defending Eminem's talent and others agreeing with Melly Mel's criticism. Chuck D sided with Melly Mel, Ooh. while 50 Cent, Fat Joe, and Kevin Gates defended Eminem's skills as a rapper. Eminem's impact on the hip-hop genre is highlighted by 50 Cent, who argued that the culture wouldn't be what it is today without him. The debate over the rankings of rappers on the list continues. Now, I'm not going to go that far, 50, and say that hip-hop or rap music wouldn't be rap music Oh, that was a bridge Eminem. too far that, for you? That was, that was a bit too far. Like, uh -huh. like, like, come on, 50. I got you. I know that's your boy. That's your peeps. But come on, 50. But look, um, I, I do think it speaks to um, the, the diversity of, of, of rap music in regards to where it started, the hood, the, the house that it's, you know, the party, the reason, and the folks who, who started it. Um, do I believe that Eminem got a little extra stank because he was, he was white? Yes, but at the same time, his lyrics are ridiculous and his delivery is, is unmatched. So I'm gonna I'm give him that. I understand the argument though, if Eminem was black, would he just be another regular old, uh, you know, rapper who can rap. Um, but can we all just get along in regards to this moment? You know, uh, it's 50 years. The genre has survived. Mm -hmm. uh, today is the day we lost Biggie back in, what, 26 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of conversation about that today. But this, this, these type of debates and arguments, I think, are going to be longstanding because, you know, it, it's just a, such a rich, uh, diverse uh, genre. But you know what? I mean, I actually, I actually can see where 50's coming from in terms of, of hip-hop not being the same without Eminem. I mean, from an acceptance standpoint, the fact that, that the hip-hop community accepted Eminem as a bona fide rapper, right? I think it says something about 
you know, the the expansiveness of hip hop as an art form, art form. And so in that way, I could see where, where 50 mm. was headed with it. Mm -mm. You still say no? Take Eminem right. out of hip hop and hip hop would be okay. He's better because he's in it, but it'd be okay if he wasn't. Still ahead, the winner of a recent Michelin Award is a black chef. They're a black chef. Yes, and she has an amazing story. We'll tell you about this West African chef and what got her the highest honor in cooking. We'll be right back. A self-trained chef from West Africa wins the coveted Michelin Award of the 44 new Michelin stars handed out Georgiana Viu is, is the only, the only one awarded to a woman working single-handedly. Yeah, becoming a chef was a fallback plan for Viu, who went to France in 1999 with dreams of becoming an interpreter. Life's complications forced her to change direction, and her second passion, cooking, took over. She was awarded a Michelin star for her cuisine at a restaurant in southwestern France. Vayu describes her cuisine as a mix of French Mediterranean perfumed with notes recalling her home country of Benin. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Corte. Until next time, soulmates, stay lifted.